Have you dreamed of bigger things for your life? Then you are in the right place. Each week, you will be given tips on how to change your inner dialogue, conquer your goals, and ways to step into a higher version of yourself. I'm your host, Lauren Kubat. I'm a motivational speaker who hosts personal development events. I'm a sought-after fitness instructor, a wife, and a mom of two young boys. I'm obsessed with all things personal development, and I believe anyone can achieve the life they want. Let the Become Your Vision podcast be the inspiration you need to step into greater things. Now let's go. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. I selfishly wanted our guest Casey here today because I am looking to invest in real estate and I just have a bunch of questions and um, like you heard from the intro, Casey is a real estate investor and she's a property coach. She's a mom, she's a wife and when I was thinking about it, so I've asked a few other people to come on the show and talk about this topic and just Casey was um, the right fit. And I really wanted to have a woman on the show because obviously most of my listeners, I don't know if I have any uh, male listeners, you'll have to um, leave it in the comments if you are, but I feel like as a woman, it's more relatable. We kind of speak the same language and hearing from someone who does have a, a family and sounds like lives a pretty normal life um, is inspiring when we can hear their story and how they started investing in real estate. So thank you so much, Casey, for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. I am, I'm really excited to be on your show. Yay. Okay. So you're a mom, you're a wife. When um, did you start investing in real estate? So take us back to that, the beginning. So I've been in real estate way before I started investing. And I used to live in Southern California. Um, and it was in 2007 that I got my broker license and I helped real estate investors find flips. But it wasn't until we moved to Memphis in 2013 that I said, okay, well, okay, let me back up a little bit. We did attempt to buy some rentals in California, but I was too scared to pull the trigger. I didn't know anyone who owned rentals and didn't happen. So when we moved to Memphis in 2013, I said, okay, we are not going to chicken out this time. I mean, I was an agent and everything, but it was just, it's different when it's your own money. And, you know, I was helping with flips. I wasn't helping with buy and hold. Like it was just different. It's just not the same. And so I said, okay, we're in Memphis now. This is like the gold mine. Everybody, you know, this is like, if we can't buy rentals here, like we're idiots, you know, like the, come on, no chickening out. So it wasn't until 2016, we bought our first rental property. Mm. Um, but it started, it, it all started with you know, having the mindset of I can do whatever it is that I want to do. And a lot, you know, my whole life, you know, like I looked really young back then and like, I'm, I'm 40 now, I'll be 41 this year. And I looked really young and I felt like my self-consciousness kind of held me back from a lot of things because I just felt really young and like, oh, no, I want this little girl to do this or that or this or that. Um, so I think real estate was really that, that place where I could be myself and do whatever I wanted because, you know, you're just a contract. You're just, you're not really a face. People don't see you. They don't know you. And my name being Casey, most people thought I was a man anyway. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I get a lot of, Hey man, like, 
<laughs> on the text huh. and voicemail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I haven't heard that before. Okay. So 2016, you are an agent. When, what was your first property that you purchased? So, okay. So I was an agent in California. When I moved mm-hmm. to Tennessee, I, I said, I do not want to do that again. So I still have my California license and I use it to get referrals on the properties that I buy. But I do not have an active Tennessee license. So I still use a real estate agent to buy and sell my properties. But my first property in 2016 was, you know, it wasn't some amazing unicorn story full of success. Like everybody wants to shout, you know, on social media is a regular old deal. We bought a house. It was like $92,500. It's a three bedroom, one bath. It's 15 minutes from home. Needed very light cosmetic work. I think. I mean, we scraped the ceilings, which, you know, there were popcorn, which I would never do again for a rental, you know, in that type of area. <laughs> but, and we, you know, kind of cleaned it up and maybe spent a thousand bucks or two. And like, that was it. Um, and at the time that property rented for 1075 a month, I think like a thousand seventy five. And that was 2016. And today that same house rents for 1525. I'm pretty sure. That's awesome. So it was a so, single family home. Yes. Single family. And we put 20% down. 20% down. What was, um, what did you purchase it for? 92.5? Yes. 92,500. Yeah. And, um, okay. So there, there's a lot to go here. I've, I'm like, so I'm so excited to have just so many questions. So you put, um, 20% down now, in your bio, you explain how you used your side hustle money from selling on Etsy to save whatever the 20K or close to it that you mm-hmm. were um, that you use for your down payment. Can you talk uh, talk us through what sure. um, your side business specifically was on Etsy? Yes. So when we moved here in 2013, I had a three week old baby, literally he was three weeks old to the day. I had a two year old, I had a cat. I knew nobody when we moved here and we bought a fixer. And so when I told my husband, I said, look, we're not going to chicken out this time. Like I'm going to buy some properties. He said, okay, great. Well, we just moved across the country. You're not working, you know, stay at home mom. And we bought a fixer. So you're going to have to figure, you know, he's very nice about it. Yeah. You're going to have to figure out how to, how to make, get a down payment. And I was like, you know, okay, I guess, you know, you're right. Like we just bought a fixer in this house. Needs tons of work. We're still fixing it up <laughs> 10 years later. Um, and that was so the was residence like, okay, you were well, living in. Yes. Yeah. We okay. bought a fixer up for to live in, you okay. know, and I wasn't working. We had just moved across the country, which was a big expense. And it was like, okay, well, how are we going to come up with money for a down payment on a rental without me having to go to work, work, you know, like mm-hmm. I just had a baby. I moved here so I could be a stay-at-home mom. Like I'm not going to go get a real job. Like that was the whole point of me moving here. It was like, I left my mommy, my daddy, my sister, <laughs> like, right. Like yeah. I'm not going to go get a full-time job. I have a ba- ba- two babies. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, well, what can I do? You know, like, I don't want to be a real estate agent right now. Like I'm so over that. What can I do? What skills do I have? And I was like, okay, well, I got a degree in public relations. I guess I could do freelance writing, you know? And I'm like, ah, oh, it sounds boring. I don't really <laughs> want to do that. And I was like, well, how about something fun? And I thought, well, I like to do crafts, you know, like what girl doesn't like crafts, you know? Yeah. And I was like, but I'm not creative. I can't drop shit. So (laughs) what can I do that someone's going to want to pay for? And that was the head scratcher. 
so I bought a Cricut machine, like a silhouette, you know, like one of those die cutting machines that people make like bridesmaid shirts and, you know, those tumblers and stuff. So mm-hmm. I bought that and it was like 300 bucks. And I remember freaking out, like I'm buying some of this $300. Like what if this never makes me any money? I mean, I laugh now. Okay. Yeah. I laugh now. It's that mindset. And yeah, it's mindset. My husband's like, Casey, just buy it. If you think, you know, you, it'll, you'll make the $300 back. I know you will. He's so Aww. great. And I was like, okay, so between, you know, my kids naps and on the weekends and my husband got home from work, I wouldn't fulfill these personalized orders. And I would make like personalized, I would go to the Dollar Tree, you know, and I would buy these dollar bunny rabbits that were like seven inches tall. And I would get vinyl glitter and I would put the kids names on them in the years and people would buy them for me for five bucks just to put in their kids Easter baskets, like things like that. You know, you, you posted it on Etsy to begin with. Yeah. So I put it on Etsy. I started an Etsy shop. It's called Namography. It's still there, but it's, you know, empty now. Like there's nothing on there. I keep my, keep my five-star shop just in case, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So I started that and then I was selling Facebook groups and I would do porch pickup and, you know, local, local for sale groups and stuff like that. And I would just do holiday stuff, bridesmaid stuff, wedding stuff, birthday stuff whatever I could find that was selling well on Etsy, Mm -hmm. I would just do it myself. And then I would sell my own version online. And it was about a year and a half. And I saved up $20,000 doing that. And I used that for, I "I did it. Use that for our down payment. for our first. That's huge. First of all, I have an Etsy store too, and I haven't touched it in a while. Um, But did you have a hard time in the beginning? Cause I'm, I'm going to do a separate episode on, on side hustling too. Um, did you have a hard time in the beginning kind of um, ending up on like the first pages or anything like that? Um, and on Etsy? Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I might not have even been the first page on a lot of my items, but it was just enough things to yeah. keep me busy. And, you know, I would do the tags and, you know, make sure I had great photos and my husband, you know, use my husband's work camera, like, you know, DSLR to take outdoor pictures and, you know, I tried really hard to make quality photos and quality products. And, you know, if somebody wasn't happy, I would remake it. You know, I wanted it to be perfect five-star shop. And, you know, I accomplished that and I would get a lot of repeat orders. Mm. And um, especially, I mean, Facebook was huge doing, you know, those resale groups um, and selling stuff for bridesmaids and there's, you know, wedding groups and, mm. you know, whatever. Monogramming is big in the South. So I did a lot of monogram stuff, but with vinyl, I didn't do any embroidery. Wow. But, you know, I think it was, you know, slow, but yeah, it was easy. And I would work maybe one or two days a week, you know, and then finally my mother-in-law, she moved out here to be by us. And so she would come over and kind of watch my kids for, you know, a one day or one and a half days, you know, a few hours. And I mean a day and I'm not mean like eight hours. It'd be right. like four to six hours, you yeah. know, one day. And then, um, but I did that until I saved up enough money until then real estate coaching took over and I closed down my Etsy shop. That's awesome. And I think the main point there too, is you're like, well, what am I going to do? Because I think there's a lot of listeners. They're like, what am I going to do? And there's so many opportunities to start a side hustle. And I know like, there's like a mind block where you can be like, somebody else is already doing it, or it's already out there. There's opportunity for you, for every single person. And that is like the hang up. Like it doesn't take 
I mean, in the beginning to starting an Etsy store, for example, yeah, there's a learning curve. Yeah. You're going to have to Google things. Yeah. You're going to have to YouTube things, but like you can totally do it. And there's Facebook groups and, you know, you don't have to knock on anybody's door anymore to sell like knives or whatever. Like you, there's so many ways to sell, but, um, I want to go back into, um, talking specifically about the real estate. I um, heard, and this is kind of the strategy that my husband and I are going to use. So we bought a um, condo in, I don't even remember, a few years ago before the pandemic. And then um, my husband sold it, but it was kind of his thing. It was him and his dad's kind of gig. And then I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad and like a light switch went off. And I'm like, you know, it was an eye opener. And I'm like, I want to do this where I'm leading the ship. Yes, my husband and I, we are a pair, but it's really important for me that I found the agent, that I found the property manager, that I'm figuring out the, um, the down payment. And I heard something really interesting and, you know, people listening, they might've heard this before, but you can use your home equity line of credit. So if you have a home, you have equity in your home and you can take out equity as a loan as a down payment on um, a rental. So essentially, let's say you take out a loan from your HELOC, your home equity line of credit, and you use it as a down payment on a rental property. Essentially, you are having two separate loans, but um, you know, depending on, um, I guess, how much you take out, you could still find something where the cash flow is... Um, significant enough where it's okay if you're paying, you know, um, two separate, two separate loans. Did you use that strategy on any of your, um, investment properties? Um, so a couple of things, um, yes. I want to kind of correct just a little bit, be able to clarify Please a little bit more do, about what you because I'm a newbie. Yes. Um, yes. But also, no, I haven't used the HELOC. Everything's come from savings, but majority, like many of my coaching students use HELOCs. Okay. A lot of them do. So good places to get down payment funds would be either, okay, cash savings, duh. Okay. Or a HELOC 401k. Those are two really popular ways to borrow. So I have not, we have a HELOC on our house just in case we want to make all cash purchases. You know, we can, um, but we have not used it yet because we still have cash we can use. Um, and I'd rather use that because it doesn't, there's no fee, you know, for me to use my own money. Right. Um, but let me back up just a little bit. So you mentioned um, something like two loan sort of deal. So just want to clarify, there's two types of equity lines. There's an equity loan, home equity loan, and there's a home equity line of credit. Those are different. Mm. So the home equity loan is where you get a you get a loan, a one chunk, and they deposit that into your bank account. And you start making payments right away on the whole amount. So let's, let's say you have a, a let's say you have $100,000 equity in your home that they're allowing you to take out. Um, you can get a home equity loan and they go, okay, here's your loan, Lauren. I just dumped a hundred thousand in your account. And now you start paying, paying interest. Yeah. Okay. Like, ah, that's a lot. That's, oh my God. Now the home equity line of credit is just like a credit card, but your home is the credit card. So you can have a home equity line of credit, like a credit card, and you can choose not to use it and you don't pay anything until you use it. And you can take out as little or as much as you want. So Let's say, you know, so the home equity line of credits really were meant to use for, were really meant for people to make upgrades to their house. Mm. I mean, that's really what they're for. They're not to like go buy boats or other properties. <laughs> really, they're to like, they're to make upgrades on your home and, you know, make your home value appreciate. 
with forced appreciation. But home equity lines of credit or HELOCs, H-E-L-O-C, are great ways for people that you know, have not, don't have enough saved, but maybe live in a great area or have owned their home a long, home a long time. And they have a big, you know, there's like cash sitting in their house. They can go get a HELOC. Yes. You have to qualify with your income and all that. Again, with your bank, um, closing costs are really low. Some banks are, they're free to get a HELOC. Some a couple hundred bucks, I'm a thousand or two. So just kind of find out, you know, which one is right for you, but they don't cost a lot of money to get the HELOC. And then you can, you know, use whatever amount you want on a down payment. So if you're looking to buy a cash flowing rental property somewhere in the country, you're going to be buying something that's less than $200,000. Like mm -hmm. I know that I know this for a fact. Matter of fact, right now it's probably, and this is a single family. If you're looking for a cash flowing rental property and it's single family, it's probably going to be under 175. 175,000. So that means you're going to need less than $50,000 for any transaction. Anywhere from $30,000 to $50,000 you can use for a down payment. You can take it from your HELOC and a down payment on another property. The cool thing about HELOCs is that a lot of time they're interest only. I mean, it's great and it sucks at the same time. But so you're paying interest only. So the payment is not high. You could get something that's, you know, 47,000 bucks and pay $166 a month for it. So that's not crazy. Um, and, you know, debt sucks, right? Nobody really wants to have tons of debt, but but to have debt to buy assets is different than I'm going to get a HELOC to buy a Mercedes. That's mm. not the mm -hmm. same, you know, and you got to make smart decisions and good decisions. Don't go buy a boat or a Disney vacation with your HELOC, which I know many people do. Use it to buy something that's going to make you money. And then it's, you know, in my opinion, okay to go in, you know, into debt. But But the way it works is you buy a property that cash flows more than your HELOC. So your rental property income is paying your back your HELOC. It's not coming from your own savings or from your husband's paycheck. Your rental property is paying the HELOC interest. And it's paying the the mortgage for the rest of and the loan and the house and the rest of the everything. house. So I want to say that. So and it's a simple calculation when you figure this out. Like Zillow has, um, well, interest rates are are high right now. So, but you can type everything in. There's a section where it says like mortgage payment. You can put in the 20% down. It'll calculate that for you. And then also it will, you could put in um, what you're pre-qualified for if you are taking out a, um, a home mortgage loan um, and type that in. And interest rates for your loan, for your HELOC, paying that back, isn't it the same as the current interest rates? So kind of, Um investment loans are higher. So if you're going to be an investor and go buy a rental property, an investment property, which is which really is anything other than your primary, even second homes or vacation homes are now considered investment loans. So you're going to have a higher interest rate than someone buying their house to go live in next door. Um, a good rule of thumb is one to 2% higher. It's kind of evened out over the past you know, six months to where maybe it's only 1% higher than a regular loan. So if you were to call your bank and say, what's the mortgage rate today? That's going to be for someone who's going to live in the house. Add 1% if you're going to rent it out. Now for the HELOC, yes, they the HELOCs are, are, um, are prime. So you're going to be paying regular old rates for your, you know, regular home interest loan rates for your HELOC. But HELOC rates vary. So that's another, that's one kind of, you know, negative towards a HELOC is that interest rates are variable. 
And you have to ask the bank in which you get your HELOC from, how often do they change their variable interest rates? So if you have a payment of $100 on your HELOC, and next quarter, it might be $175 a month, you know, mm. if rates go up. So they're adjustable. Now, there is one little bank at this moment that offers fixed rates, and that is PNC Bank. So anyone that's listening is getting a free Casey Franchini tidbit Ooh. on um, home equity loans right now. And that um, PNC Bank, you can lock in your rate. And you can fix it just like a regular, a regular loan, like a 30 year fix. And you can, for a hundred bucks, I feel like a spokesperson for only a hundred dollars, <laughs> you can change your rate. You can lock and relock up to five times. I mean, this is really unheard of. And I have students that are doing this is, I, I recommend to my students to get the PNC HELOC because you can fix your interest rate and not have to worry about it being adjustable. Like everybody else's rates are. Interesting. So I have students okay. that get that you know have California money, as my friends would say, and <laughs> they have you know 200k equity loans, equity lines to credit, and they're buying houses all cash, right? Where for rentals, and if you think about this, if they were to get a loan from the bank, they'd have a higher interest rate than what they can get themselves financing their own, you know, basically 30 year fixed from their own HELOC since they have enough to do that. Okay. Awesome. That's a great, great tip. Um, okay. So how old were you? So 2016. So you were what? 35, 34 when you bought your first oh real estate investment? Something like that. Okay. Yeah. I think my calculator. Yeah. <laughs> and was that, uh, what did you look for when you were looking for your first property? What were some things that were like really important for you when you're like, okay, this is a good investment? Okay. So simple, the simpler, the better. Okay, we're not looking for this is, you know, when you're looking for investment properties, you're not looking for your dream home and people have to get that out of their heads really fast. You got to take the emotion out of it. I know it's not two stories. I know it doesn't have the wraparound porch. I know there's no pool, but you don't want any of that stuff. You don't want anything that's going to cost you any more money. You don't want a huge house. You don't because guess what huge houses mean? They mean more square footage, more doors, more doorknobs, more trim, more windows, more expensive. <laughs> yeah. Right. So you want something simple, just basic, a three bedroom, two bath, three bedroom, one and a half, whatever is normal for the area. Obviously, you don't want the weird house on the street, but just a small, basic entry level home. And you don't want the yard to be too big because the tenants have to mow it. And if they see an acre, that might be something you'd like, but no tenant wants to mow an acre. You know, they wouldn't mind a fenced in yard for their dog, but they don't want an acre. So there's things like that you have to think about. I'm not real into fireplaces, although they're fine. I'm not going to not buy a house because it has one, but I don't look for that. I don't really want a fireplace. Pools are an absolute no, like, nope, I won't even look at it. Um, but one of the, one thing that is, is a must have for me and what I teach is really understanding the difference in neighborhood class. Because you're not really buying a property so much as you are buying the type of tenant who's going to live there and take care of your property for you. You know, there is A, B, C, and D class properties and A class property you can imagine. The best of the best, luxury neighborhood, gated community, top of the line, beautiful, right? Then mm -hmm. you have D class, hood, bring your gun, don't drive there at night, you might get mugged, you know, 
Do you want to own properties there? Just envision the type of person you're going to have living in those areas. You know, you know, domestic violence, domestic abuse, low credit scores, people with, you know, flaky jobs, people that have terrible credit scores and they have been evicted before, been in bankruptcy and they just don't care. They mm -hmm. gaff, right? We don't want, I don't want tenants like that. What do I want? My favorite properties, my best tenants are ones that are, you know, straight out of college, newly married, young couples, or even the older couples, but in a nice established B-class neighborhood with low crime, good schools, and just pe people that have real jobs, mm -hmm. you know, blue collar jobs, white collar jobs, either of those jobs is okay, um, you know, types of jobs, but you really want to be in a neighborhood where the quality of tenants is up to par because you will, you know, people will talk a lot about, I bought a house for $40,000 and they are touting it. I bought 10 houses. They're all $40,000. I got 10 units. I got, I got 10 doors. And I'm just like sitting here in my chair, eating my popcorn, <laughs> waiting till next year when they sell them all, you know, because they had to do evictions or they had to do full rehabs after those tenants left because they just completely ruined their properties. You know, it's all about quality. It's quality versus quantity. And I think a lot of people get hung up on quantity because of vanity metrics and they want to say how many properties they own. Mm. I think that's great advice. Um, kind of go back to the the condo we had um, a few years ago. Our tenant was, so my husband was the property manager this time around. Absolutely not. We are hiring a property manager and that is going to be another fee just because our kids are small. My husband's looking on a, you know, he's working on his pilot certification, all these things. He's at a different point in his life. But um, our tenant was, um, she was constantly late. And one of the mistakes, and we were, we were advised not to do this, but you know, things happen. He would be, you know, too kind of like, uh, nice about things and like, let her have hate, uh, late fees. And that became kind of the norm. So every month she was late and she was paying these late fees. Thankfully she always paid, but you have to be really careful about that and making sure you have a quality, um, tenant background checks, um, things like that. Um, you can also, I've heard like, you can ask for like referral if they've lived somewhere else. A really good tip I heard from somebody, and I don't know how realistic it is, is to have them like videotape their car to see, or their current living situation. So you can see how they live and what kind of tenant they're going to be. Um, but I like that you mentioned um, the different types of tenant, a good rule of thumb, like for your first property, do you, what type of cash flow are you looking for? Is it $100? Is it $200? Do you really care about the cash flow on your, your first um, investment piece? Absolutely. Cash flow is important. You need both. You need cash flow and appreciation because cash flow, you know, if your property doesn't, um, doesn't support itself, you're buying a bad asset. Okay. You need to have a property that makes money and one that's going to appreciate. Now, all the areas where you're going to find appreciating or you know, properties that cash flow, they're not going to be in the most appreciating areas. Mm -hmm. Duh. That's how come they're still affordable today. That's how come you can still buy them and they can cash flow because they're not in Austin, Texas. They're not in San Francisco. Okay. We are going to be buying in not the most amazing, you know, cities in the country. 
But that's okay. Just because we're not buying in Denver, Colorado, doesn't mean that we're buying in a crappy area. It just means that it's, you know, an area where it's just kind of like, eh, kind of like whatever, you know, and, and that's just how it is. It's just a whatever area. There's a lot of criteria, you know, um, and I live in a whatever area. I live in Memphis, you know, it's, I, I honestly, I hate Memphis, but <laughs> do you <laughs> come to Charleston, even though it's super like crowded right now and houses are super inflated, but we love it in here. South, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. We're in Charleston. Yeah, my sister lived there for a year. Really? We love it. Yes. Yeah. She moved back to California. She's like, there's too many mosquitoes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So not in a super popular area. Okay. So cash flow. what's your rule of thumb when you're like, okay, I'm looking oh, for okay. this or what was it when you first invested? What was like a number that you had? Well, I didn't have a number then. Um, okay. Now I do. Now I have a number. Um, and I teach $300 a month after fixed expenses for a single family. And um, a lot of people will take out variable and stuff, variable expense, all these things right away. And okay, fine, you can do that too. But I, I don't need to do the extra math because I know that if I make over 300 a month after fixed expenses, which is principal interest, taxes, insurance, property manager, 10% of that, 10% um, for PM and HOA, all that that's left is in my pocket. Now I can use that amount to pay for random stuff that happens. A toilet broke or I have to fix the roof or whatever, okay? Um, there's different categories for expenses. So I do 300 bucks a month minimum after fixed expenses. And most of my students get way more than that. Um, and obviously, if you manage yourself, you know, that's even a bigger plus and you better make more than that. But even if you do plan on self-managing like I do, you still need to have at least 300 because one day you might not want to self-manage anymore and you want to have the opportunity you might move and then what you got to stay there because you have to manage your house or you'll be negative no you don't want to be negative um so to me that's a good rule of thumb and if you can find something that's at least 300 a month after fixed expenses you'll be, have plenty of room there to take out your percentage for variable expenses which to me depends on the property it's not a flat percentage for variable across the board it really depends on per property um and, you know, how old the CapEx items are, you know, the big expensive items like a roof or a driveway or air conditioner system. If those things are brand new, why are you taking, why are you withholding 10%? You mm. know, you're already paying for a property that's worth this amazing amount because it's got this new stuff. You're never going to have to fix it again in your lifetime of ownership. So you're not going to buy the deal because you withheld 10% and now your cash flow is not enough. So I think people that just blindly take out certain percentages just don't know what they're doing, you know, mm. really. Um, and they need help, you know. Um, or to understand why they're taking out that amount, not just because some guy online says to do that, you know, like why? Um, but two things you have to remember, the reason why you have to have positive cash flow every month and a healthy amount is because you're always going to be paying for home insurance. And that always goes up just like health insurance, home insurance goes up every year. And property taxes too. You have to know where you're buying, how often the property taxes are reassessed and what the tax rates are. Because depending upon where you live, you might have a property tax bill go up every single year mm. in Texas, right? Taxes, are, properties are reassessed every single year. So every single year, if your value of your house goes up, so does your tax bill. And you have to have a healthy cushion of cash flow to absorb that cost. And you can't forget about rent increases or at least know, okay, every so many years I have to do a big increase. I know some landlords, as myself, do not do rent increases every year, but every 
you know, four years, I will do a big increase because every four years is when we get our property tax bill. And I'll say, Mm -hmm. all right, tenants, you know, you've gotten a deal for the past four years, time to do a big increase. And they're like, okay, you know, they know they've gotten a deal and they know it's going to be just as much or more, if not more somewhere else. Um, So you can't forget about rental increases, but you have to have a healthy cash flow because it's going to dwindle dwindle down every year by home insurance and property taxes. Mm, That's sound advice. And your your rent appreciation will never go as fast as home insurance. It will not go as, it won't go up as much, you know, at the same rate. So you can say, oh, I'm just gonna increase rent 3% every year. Well, look at your insurance bill and see, has it gone 3% a year higher or more? Probably more, and then don't forget about taxes. Okay, that's really good. Hey guys, real quick, I want to talk to you about the new flavor of muesli cereal that I have developed. It is chocolate protein crunch. And you guys, I feel like it tastes like cocoa puffs minus all the sugar and fillers and the crash that you feel after having a big bowl of traditional cereal. Moosley's got you covered. It has 20 grams of protein. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that my goal is to increase my strength. And in order to do that, I need to get my protein in. Protein is very hard for somebody like me to fit in because I don't necessarily crave meat all the time. I don't necessarily love cooking. I need convenience in my life. What I love about this new flavor, you just pour it into a bowl. I add vanilla almond milk. I eat it cold. I eat it warm. You can add it to yogurt, a smoothie. If you're interested, go to www.mymoosley.com. That's www. Do I have to say that anymore? Mymoosley.com. It's in the show notes. Okay, so 300, and do you, um, is that advice that every kind of real estate investor will say? I've heard less than $300 before. That's because they're taking out for variable expenses too. So, Mm. I mean, if anything, you want to be positive. I mean, worst case scenario, are you going to be positive? So some people are okay with a hundred bucks a door, as they say a door, which means, you know, if someone says I own one property, but it's a fourplex, they want to say how many units they have. So that's what doors means. How many like units? Um, So hundred bucks a month, some people say 50 bucks a month. And that's after all potential expenses. And for me, the variable expenses amount depends upon the, on the exact property that you buy. I'm not going to, overtake out and make a deal not good just because I'm overtaking out more than I should. And, and I don't want to undertake out some houses have old everything and it's going to be way more than what they would typically take out for variable expenses. So, you know, as long as you have 300 bucks a month or more, um, gross cash flow, you'll be able to pay for all the extra stuff. Okay. Understandable. Okay. So now how many properties do you currently have? So we have six rentals and we're in contract with the seventh one and they're all single family. That is so exciting. Now, are you, do you have some properties that are in other states or where you currently live? They're all in Memphis, um, just because, man, I'm living, I live in the best, one of the best rental areas. Um, We have tried to buy some short-term rentals in Arkansas, but um, they'd be for our vacation home as well. And um none of those have worked out. So, but we are considering, you know, we have, we go off and on. It's like, it's like buying a car. It's like yeah. buying a car. You go look, you, you, and eh, never mind. And you, maybe next year you revisit it. That's kind of us every summer. We're like, okay, let's go buy a, 
short term rental <laughs> and we get in contract and then it doesn't work out. And, but yeah, so, okay. um, but our, ours are all in Memphis. Um, there are other markets I will consider, but it's also hard to beat the fact that I can save the 10% in property management fees and self-manage. Yeah. So you go to all of these properties, you keep an eye on them. You just, you, anytime there's, um, something that goes out, a plumbing leak or whatever, you guys manage that. Yeah. So I used to send my husband out for all those things, you know, all yeah. the fixing things. Um, and now I'll send him out for maybe some more expensive things that I know we'll get really screwed on if we have someone else do, but I've got my little handyman guys that I, that I'll send out now. So he doesn't have to go do it. He really doesn't really like going to tenants <laughs> houses when they're home. No, he really doesn't like that. No, so I awkward. try not to send him out. Yeah. My yeah. husband was doing that. He had some stories about how our tenant was living. I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like yeah. just kind of, kind of interesting. Um, do you have a goal every single year to buy a new property or um, what's it, what's your ultimate goal when you are thinking about your investments? So, you know, I feel like goals change and it's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, um, some people like our first goal, let's just get one. And see what that's like, you know, and then it was, let's get 10. Well, really the goal, was, the initial goal was to make a hundred thousand a year, right? That was the goal so that we could, you know, kind of replace my husband's income and then he wouldn't have to work anymore. So we are really close to that now with only at six houses. Um, and that's because of rental increases. It's like, I kind of forgot that yeah. rents go up, you know, that's really helped. I don't need as many houses as I thought I did to get what we wanted, but, you know, as you get older and your lifestyle is increased, you need more and more money. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm just kind of like, I, I, I can't, it's, it's too hard for me, you know, as I don't know, maybe I'm just a girl. I don't know to <laughs> say, I'm going to have a finite amount of money and that's it. Like, I don't even do that. So my goal is just get as many houses as we can. Um, but I also don't want to use other people's money. I don't want to partner with people. Um, I want to own them all ourselves. And so that means us saving, you know, mm -hmm. and buying them one at a time. So that's kind of what we do. And, but I will say like people go, oh, that takes too long. It's too slow. Well, it's, I mean, what, been five, six, six years, you know, seven years. I don't know. Since we started buying rental properties and we make near a hundred thousand dollars a year in rental income. And most of that, almost of that is cash flow. We could pay off those houses tomorrow if we wanted. And my husband says every day, we should just pay them off. We should just pay them off. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm going to use that money to buy more. I'm only 40. I'm not. Right. You can quit, but you can quit if you want. Like no big deal. <laughs> yeah. um, you don't have to work anymore. And he doesn't, but you know, it's just, I'm not ready to stop. And so yeah. I'm not ready to pay Ah, so good. That's awesome. That's really cool. It's just, buy, it's just buy as many as we can without, you know, overdoing it. So people will buy a whole portfolio in a year. And I'm, I don't think that that's very smart um, yeah. because you don't want to have, you know, that much leverage, um, that much debt against your portfolio in one year. It's, I'm a very risk averse person and it's wise to spread out the properties that you buy over years. If you can afford to buy four a year, fine, four years. If you can afford to buy, afford to buy one a year, buy one a year. Mm -hmm. But if you're like, I'm going to go buy 20 in one year and be done. Well, to me, I think that's stupid because yeah. now you have an 80% debt on all these properties. What if the market tanks, you know, and you're underwater? Is it a good idea to have that, have that many properties that are, 
um, that are worth significantly less than what you bought. I just, I like to spread out the risk and buy some here and then we've, we've bought one a year, one year we bought two, one year we bought none COVID year. And we'll probably buy a few this year. I want to buy four this year. Wow. The money we have sitting in our account is just getting eaten up by cash flow. And we didn't buy the, the lake house, you know, short-term rental last year that I wanted. So I'm like, okay, well, that's quite a bit of cash saved that I was going to use for a really nice lake house. I'm like, screw it. I'm over the lake house now. I've got to pull my backyard. Just forget it. I'm, you know, I'm just going to buy more rentals because, you know, it's, I know rates are high, but that was a whole other conversation that it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah. So goals change. I'm not a real big gold person, but it's just buy what you can without over leveraging yourself. Um, you know, and don't let, don't let society and social media get you down. Everybody is their own person and whatever you do to make your life better is good for you. That's great. What is your opinion on, I want to go into short-term rentals like Airbnbs, um, Verbo, um, why you chose, um, why don't we start there and then we'll go into the apartment condos and the like, HOAs like, and I all choose that. Long-term rentals over yes. short-term? Correct. Okay. So there's a lot of reasons. Um, all, let me preface this by saying all investment vehicles are good. They're all good. It's just whatever's good for you. Mm -hmm. And they're all good. They all make money. They're all great. There isn't one that's better than the other. They all have pros and cons. For me, I wasn't looking for a job. And short-term rentals are a job. It's also taxed as active income. So I had to pay income tax on that. And I don't really want to. I wanted to, I still want the life that I dreamed of when, and I have it, but like, I don't want that to change. Like I still want to, to make money every month and not to do anything for it, mm -hmm. you know, relatively. Um, I have tenants that I don't talk to all year long and they give me 1600 bucks a month, every single month. And I don't talk to them all year. That's pretty freaking passive. <laughs> yeah. Maybe is there like one problem that I might have to make a phone call for? Yeah. But uh, my properties don't have a lot of problems. Why? Because we fix them up right to begin with. We use quality materials, quality workmanship. We don't buy in crappy areas. So we have tenants whose houses are way nicer than mine on the inside. And they're all great six-figure, not all, but my favorite areas. Great six-figure income earner tenants with pottery barn furniture. You know, like <laughs> cute little couples that just graduated. Like they're my favorite. Like that's my favorite type of person. My favorite tenant, my yeah. favorite neighborhood. You know, I don't have to do any work and I just make money and the properties appreciate, you know, it's not like a huge paycheck every month, but you don't need to buy a huge, you don't, I don't need a huge paycheck from those properties are cheap. Short-term rentals, those aren't going to be in the same neighborhoods. You know, nobody wants to vacation where they live, right? So mm -hmm. you want to go to a nice area. You want to go to the beach. You want to go in trendy downtown, something going on. So those areas cost more money. So you're already looking at buying a more expensive property for a short-term rental. Not only that, you have to furnish it. So now you're talking anywhere from seven dollars to $20,000 to fully furnish a house. And now you have to manage it like a job. You have to talk to people all day long. I hate talking to tenants as it is. Never mind, a new one every three days, shoot me now. Like, no thanks. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with customer complaints. Like I'm, I, I'm a member of a lot of short-term rental Facebook groups all over like Florida. I'm in many and um, Arkansas too. And the problems that people have with tenants, I just, I will choke people out. Like <laughs> I, I, I can't, yeah. I just can't deal with that type of person who takes right. advantage. Of, oh, it makes me gross. I want to like puke. So 
I don't like people like that. Like I can't, I'm not, I don't want to own a hotel. And you know, that's what it is. I don't like people that much. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there's like, for me, it's just not for me. And um, I think even if we bought, got the lake house, like even if we bought a 700,000 lake house, I, I still think I'd have a hard time renting that because I don't want to deal with those types of people. Like their complaints. Like I can't. Right. So, the door didn't that, open or there weren't garbage bags or, you know, the, the passcode, what is the passcode? Did it change or whatever it is? Yeah. Now you can hire people to do it. Right. I help people. My, I have a lot of students who um, do short-term rentals instead of long-term. So I will help students with that. And some manage them themselves and some don't. So you can hire a five-star host. And that's what I already have set up in Arkansas. I've already got a five-star super host. He'd manage our properties for me. I don't care. I'll pay him 20%. I don't even care. Like, I don't want to deal with those like tenants like that. So you can hire people to do that and have them still make money. Um, although I know that I'm greedy like that. Not that I'm greedy, but I, I want control and I'm not, I'm not very good at letting go. Even though I tell all my students to let go. Yeah. <laughs> that's one right. thing that's the, that's the do as I say, not as I do. Totally. I, I, I have a hard time and it's because I live in Memphis and I can manage my own properties, but I would have no problem managing them, you know, setting, setting it out if I needed to have another person do it. But, but besides the, the me part of not wanting a short-term rental, um, the, the thing with short-term rentals are that they cost more money. They're in better areas you know, more desirable areas. And, uh, and for me, for a, a new person asking for advice, a new investor, my question to them would be, can you float all that if nobody rents? So a lot of people are like, oh, well, I'm a teacher or whatever. I always use teachers as an example, because in California, they didn't make enough money. And that's why I didn't be a teacher. And I wanted to, I'm a teacher now, but in a different fashion. Yeah. Um, but it's like, okay, so if you're on a teacher's salary and you want to go buy a $500,000 beach house and rent it out, um, and can you afford that, you know, $2,800 a month payment plus 350 bucks a month for utilities plus 50 bucks every two weeks for a yard guy and furniture and then have it sit vacant? How long can you hold that $5,000 a month for? Yeah. For some people, it's no. Well, then why are you taking on that risk? You know, what if there's another code, the government shuts down and they're not allowing travel and you've got this expensive house you can't afford. Now, if you're bald rich and you've got a lot of money and you're like, yeah, no problem. I can buy that. I can hold it forever. That's the type of person that should do a short-term rental. Yeah. Because when you don't need the money, because it's too risky. It's mm. riskier than a long-term rental. Long-term rentals, in my opinion, are not risky. If you do them right. Short-term rentals are risky. You don't have control over the income. Mm -hmm. um, so my advice to give to people that are interested in short-term rentals is great. If you can't float that by yourself, then don't do it. Um, but for every four to five long-term rentals you have, now you can go buy a short-term rental and have it be risk-free because your long-term rentals, you only four or five of them to pay for the short-term rental shit hits the fan. And you can't afford your short-term rental, at least your long-term rental income can cover that. Yeah, that's that's great. That was one of the reasons I decided not to is because it becomes a job. Um off season, like so if you a beach location, you're you know, you're paying all those fees. Um, and then wear and tear on the house. You know, you have constantly new people coming in and you know, it takes a takes a toll on um the property. And you know, not everybody takes care of things like you know, we do. Um, let's talk about, um, when it comes to apartments, investing in an apartment or a condo or a townhome, and then, um, HOA, HOA fees attached to those. 
Okay. So there's two categories that you mentioned, really. One of them is commercial and one of them is residential. Um, so whether it's a townhome or a condo or a one to four, two to four unit, that's all residential real estate. So it's all the same. It's all um, figured out the same. You run the numbers the same. It's all the same. Um, yeah. HOAs, you have to you have to consider the HOA dues for any property because HOAs always go up too, just like home insurance. You have to ask about special assessments and find out if there's any huge things coming up. Like, hey, is the whole complex getting a new roof? And next year, you're going to have to pay 3200 bucks extra? Okay, you know, that's, that's going to happen. Um, or everyone's getting new fences, everyone's getting a new patio or whatever it is, you know, the the main um, hangout areas, getting a park, you know, a special assessment, everyone's going to pay into that. So HOAs are not the greatest, but I have a lot of students who buy condos in like North Carolina and better areas that they couldn't otherwise afford a single family and they still cash flow. So it's great. You just want to make sure your cash flow is high enough to cover any potential problems, you know, down the road. Um, so that's what the HOA is. And definitely, if you're going to consider short-term rentals, you really got to watch the HOA thing because they can kind of change the rules on you um, and all of a sudden make your HOA not allowed. You know, so mm -hmm. it does take some work. It's not as easy as people say. They can just change their minds. No, it needs to get a vote of everyone, all the residents. It needs to get into the bylaws. There is some work involved, but many neighborhoods are getting rid of HOA, are getting rid of um, short-term rentals being allowed there. So I would just stay away from HOAs in general if I was going to buy a short-term rental. Like I would just not buy in an, an HOA mm -hmm. neighborhood. Like I just would not at all consider it. It's not worth it. Uh, worth the risk, in my opinion, to own that property. And then what if all of a sudden you can't rent it out as a short-term rental anymore? And guess what? You didn't. You don't have a backup case, backup scenario and it doesn't cash flow as a long-term rental. Mm. So now you got to sell it with the market's down. And now you got to sell it at a loss or go move into it. <laughs> like, ah. Right. So, um, so that with apartments, um, the other thing would be it's it's commercial. So five units and up is considered commercial investment and you're gonna get a different type of loan. Um, you have to buy it in an LLC. Um, and it's the the way the way um, apartments work and why I don't really like them. Well, there's a lot of reasons why I don't really like apartments. Um, personally for me, again, all investments are good. Apartments are great for somebody, but not for me. Um, apartments really are a 10 year cycle. So I, again, think my long-term rental houses, I'm going to keep forever. Now I may not, I might get rid of my worst ones at some point, or maybe I will keep them for a really, really long time. But with apartments, there is a cycle and it's a 10 year cycle. The way to do apartments is to buy underperforming apartments. They're not valued and analyzed like, like residential part, uh, houses are residential family um, properties. So you have to look at the cost per unit, the income, um, using the income approach, something I learned a long time ago in real estate school, income approach, um, and see how much income is each unit generating. And that will tell you the property's value. So it's not based upon the neighboring apartment complex and how much that one went for. That's that's the comparison method, like how you're going to go see how much what, the house you live in. You know, you live in Charleston. How much is your house worth? Well, I don't know. How much is my neighbor's house worth? Right. That's how you do it. That's not how apartment complexes work. So the way to buy apartments is to buy underperforming property, meaning there's a high vacancy rate or it needs tons and tons and tons of money and repairs and it's not worth anything. You buy it at that low value. You put tons of money into the property, get it up to full occupancy, hold it for a while, and then you sell it again. So a lot of times commercial loans are only for 10 years. And that's another reason why I think the whole 10 year thing kind of happens. Wow. So it's kind of like another job, like, okay, so, um, you know, I have to do this every 10 years sort of deal, but that's only one reason why I'm not a big fan of apartments. There's tons of reasons. Another reason is because 
a lot of apartments that I could personally afford are going to be lower quality apartments. And again, I have a threshold, I have a minimum, and I don't want to have anything that's less than $800 a month because I'm getting a lower quality tenant. If a tenant only needs to make three times the rent to live in a property and their rent is $500 a month, they only need to make $1,500 a month, both, both adults combined on the lease. Mm. Ew, what kind of job does that person have? What kind of person is that? What kind of aspirations and goals? Are they college educated? Are they going to have a job? Can they even hold down a job? And if they can, how come they're only, they can only afford $1,500 a month? You know, that's their max. So a lot of cheaper apartments, um, they are lower lower income, more section H or D-class neighborhood, which I said in the beginning is not good, in my opinion. And so I don't want that. Now, am I going to go in with Grant Cardone and, you know, let him invest my money and be involved in some amazing complex in Dallas that's like, you know, 5,000 units or whatever it is? Yeah. No, I'm probably not going to do that. Yeah, that would be a syndication. But for me, again, I don't want a partner, so I don't want to be with other people. I can't afford a $10 million complex on my own. You know, I don't have two million cash to put into that plus another however much in repairs. So like, yeah, it's just too much work. Like I'm, I want to be a passive investor. I don't mm -hmm. want to be a huge active investor. I love teaching about. It. I love helping other people, but I don't want to. I don't want to do all the work required for having another job as an apartment owner. Um, also, the one last thing I'll say, which a lot of people forget about, is the amount. Who's going to manage these these units for apartments? So if you own 40 units or less, it's not really going to make sense to, it's not going to make financial sense to hire um, like a, a staff for that property. It doesn't make financial sense in most cases for 40 units or less. So now you're stuck like having to piecemeal your stuff together. Like, okay, fine. You got a property management company, but then you also have, you know, um, like you have outside people doing it all, all different stuff. So you got to kind of be local because there's going to be stuff's going to come up. So you're more hands-on with something 40 units or less. And that's a lot of units to be kind of hands-on. Again, I want to be a passive investor. I just want the checks to roll in. I don't want to do a lot of work. Um, 40 units are up. Now you're talking about having a full-time staff. Now you got to have someone who, the, who works at the front desk. You got to have an in-house handyman. Okay, now I'm running a business. Right. So <laughs> it's it, that it, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, that's an interesting point of view. I guess when I was... Um, talking, I guess, uh, one unit apartments, <laughs> I was like, but you know, down the line, you reading the, reading these books or talking about, um, listening to these podcasts and they're buying, you know, uh, a four unit duplex or whatever, but that is, um, an interesting residential residential. Okay. Point, um, Easy. point of okay. view. Yeah. Yeah. Less headache more manageable. I think that's great. Um, lower invest or lower, um, risk, um, investment. Um, when you first started, are there any tips that you wish you would have known, um, then, or you, if you could go back, is there anything that you wish you could have told your first investor self? <laughs> I think I would have, I would have told myself, I mean, with the one house, like I shouldn't have scraped the ceilings. I mean, that was a lot of work, a lot okay. of unnecessary work. So I kind of knew what I was doing from the beginning. My dad and I fixed up houses together. I worked with investors on flips. So, um, and I really understood neighborhood quality 
and not buy. So I did a lot of things right the first time because I had previous real estate experience and some capacity to figure that out. Um, I also did a 20 year loan. I, on that one, I won't do that again. Ooh, like I would okay. always try and do 30 year loans, you know, like, well, why did I do that? I know why I did it, but it was, you know, it's fine. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, if I were to give advice on something that I think most people don't think about, it is pick the investment strategy. Like I was kind of been saying this, but that's right for you. Now I like long-term rentals as right for me, but just because, you know, some guru says they make money in this. Another guru says they make money in this. Some guy showing you his Lambo and he does this. Think about the pros and cons for each one of those investing investment strategies. What's the risk level required and what risk level are you comfortable with? How much money is required to invest in those types of asset classes? Do you have the money available for that sort of thing? And, you know, what time is required for each of these types of assets? Do you have the time? Are you wanting to put in the time? Are you willing to put in the time required for some of these? I mean, there is so many different ways to, to invest. You know, there's wholesaling, flips, REITs, syndications, long-term rentals, short-term rentals, mid-term rentals, commercial real estate. I mean, holy cow. Bubble you know, you can get lost all <laughs> you look, like lost looking for that stuff. So figure out, you know, those things. What's your risk level? How much money do you have and how fast can you regenerate money? If you make a lot of money, you can regenerate money quickly. You know, a lot, I, I know a lot of um, experienced investors, they, they go from long-term rentals and they'll try all those other things. And a lot of times they end up settling on long-term rentals because it's the least amount of work. And then once they get tons of money, they go into syndications and they want to be even more hands-off and to be an accredited, um, person in order to invest in a syndication, you have to have a million dollars in assets, a million dollars in assets, not included in your primary residence. So that just cuts out like most people right there. Um, and you have to make $250,000 a year person. So if you make 250 a year and you've got a million dollars in assets, not including your primary, you are accredited and you can go and invest your $100,000 cash or whatever, which is that's usually the minimum, 100K into a syndication, get quarterly dividend, dividends and get your money back in X amount of years. What is a syndication? Is that where everybody, there's a bunch of people that go into one investment piece, like a, I don't know, yes. neighborhood or something okay. like that? Yeah, it would be like, you know, a huge luxury um, 400 unit apartment complex gotcha. in Austin, Texas. Yeah. You know, that would be $20 million. You know, there's a lot of investors who put money in for that. Mm. Okay. Um, what are some of, and I want you to share your Instagram, the resources you offer, but are there any like books that you personally love or resources that you, you go back to or anything that kind of changed your trajectory of how you thought of, um, real estate investment as a whole? So I'll be honest, and it's not a popular opinion, but or answer, but I've not read any real estate books. Everything I, I know, everything I learned was on my own through trial and error and doing it all by myself. Now I have recently purchased some bigger pockets books because they were on sale on Black Friday and like months ago, right? Yeah. On my ebook, but I still haven't read them. But I'm like, I gotta read these. Everybody reads these. I gotta, bigger pockets. So I want to shout them out. Yeah. They do have a po uh, podcast. 
I've been listening to that one. They have several podcasts. There's yeah. several different podcasts. Um, and I don't listen to those either, but I've been on some. I, <laughs> I should, love your I honesty. <laughs> um, but um, they're great for beginners. So if you have know nothing about real estate, the bigger pockets books are great. You know, you can get them in the bigger pocket store, you can get them on Amazon, bigger pocket search at Brandon Turner. You know, there's other authors too. Their books are great. But the books that have really helped me. And my growth as like a mom and, you know, just a woman in general living in this world have been the motivational books and self-help books. Mm -hmm. I am all about that stuff. And I've got one sitting here right now. I think I threw on the floor. There it is. It's uh, Think and Grow Rich, you know, by Napoleon Hill. And I love that book. I have listened to most of those books. And if anyone's listened to those books, they are long. Okay. Yeah. Like eight hours. Um, Those books are great. And my favorite book, I think that really changed me was the power of the subconscious mind by Joseph Murphy. And Mm. that's what my overall favorite book, if I had to say anything, any book that's changed my life. And it was that one, the power of the subconscious mind by Joseph Murphy, because it taught me that the only limits I have to my success are the limits that I have still in my own mind. I'm limitless. So good. It is. That is so good. A lot of this thing, my mindset around money had to change because of how my dad viewed money when I was younger, this kind of going off on a side note here, but I, it was ingrained in me to think a certain way about money. And I had to retrain my brain to think a certain way. And I love that you mentioned this personal development um, book because this is a personal development podcast. Um, So I, that one, I have not read the power of a subconscious mind. I think that one is um, that one's going to be added to my list. So thank you for, for sharing that. So where can you offered us so much information? It might've been like an overload to like listeners. I think this is one you should go back and listen to. You might have to Google some definitions of things. Like if you're, you're taking Sorry. notes, no, that's good. That's good. Because I'm like that too. Like I like to um, listen to things. And if I don't know something, you, you Google it because this is, you know, this has become a second nature to you. Um, where can people find you talk to us about like the services that you personally offer sure so you can find me um i'm on instagram like all the time so that's where i am daily it's at brick by brick wealth um because it's just you know one brick at a time one house at a time you'll be wealthy it's not a get rich quick you know thing but it's definitely get rich but it's just not quick um so you can find me on my instagram you can email me directly i've never had any spam and i always give it out it's casey at brick by brick wealth.com i got a website brick by brick wealth.com i got a youtube brick by brick wealth i'm starting that back up so don't laugh at my old videos from five years ago <laughs> no i think I'm those are so incredible yeah YouTube's hard. um and then i forgot i think you asked one more question oh my service that's right So my main focus is helping aspiring real estate investors with their first property. That's what I do. I don't sell tons of little products. I really sell a one-on-one coaching service and I hold your hand the entire way through your first rental property. I know how hard and scary it is to do this stuff by yourself. I, I, oh my God, I've had so many students come from group programs or from boot camps and have just like learned a lot, but then that was kind of where it ended. Um, I am here to help you help you take the leap, take the jump and move you through all the steps to get you to the end. Um, and it's really rewarding to me. I used to love event planning back in the day when I was younger, because I like to see not, you know, 
things go from nothing to something like, look what I mm-hmm. did, you know? And so like yeah. my students are like a like, little project and it's like you, you know, I take moms and dads and, and who have worked freaking nine to fives their whole life and are like, oh my God, is this what life is? Is there something else to life? And so they will, um, you know, hire me and I will help them see a new path to financial freedom. So that's what I do. It's fun. I have, I do have tons of free resources on my website. Um, so they can get that there as well, but brick by brick wealth is where you can find me. Awesome. And I'll leave that information in the show notes. Thank you so much, Casey, for just sharing your wealth of knowledge with us and like making our first investment, not so, so scary. Cause I feel like the initial one can be a little intimidating. So absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Lauren, for having me on. I really appreciate it. I had a good time and sorry if I like overshared way too much info, but I get excited. No, I love it. I think that's great. I think that's great. It's better to overshare than undershare in my opinion. (laughs) All right, you guys, I hope you love this show. If you did, please make sure you screenshot it and share it to Instagram, tag Casey and myself. All of that information is the show notes that helps get the show out. It helps your friends so they can listen to podcasts like these. Um, It's just a win-win situation. And remember, you got this. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you love this episode, make sure you are subscribed so you know when more episodes come available. My goal is to inspire others to become their vision and one way to get the word out is with reviews. I would really appreciate it if you left an honest review on iTunes and it would mean so much to me. Thanks again and remember to go after the life you want. Bye guys. Bye guys.